Welcome into the 3430 Club podcast. I am your host, John Thorpe, joined as always by Bobby Emmett. It is July 17th, and we are now officially into the summer days. Uh, we got some good weather this week, Bobby. It's finally warming up. You can't complain about the rain anymore. Uh, and I guess I should say I we uh, we enjoyed the warm weather together. We were uh, having dinner together in Portland in like 95 degree heat the other day. Yeah, we were we were frying. You were out in the sun. You tried to be the martyr. We tried to give you some some shade at first, and you're like, no, no, it's fine. I like the sun. And then halfway through your dinner, you were glistening, panting, and begging to be in the shadows. So you learned your lesson. Did you notice how I kept like offering to go back into the restaurant to get water because I was just craving the <laughs> yeah. AC? Yeah, and you were also trying to survive also. Yeah, it was hot. It's summertime. Yeah, it was super hot. It is um it's been nice in Tacoma. Today and yesterday have been not as nice. It was only like a high of 68 today and cloudy. But the next week is supposed to be beautiful. And then um Saturday, um heading back home to Montana for 8 days with a couple friends and uh, Hana and we're going to enjoy the lake and the sunshine and uh just relax. So I'm looking forward to that and it's supposed to be really nice it typically gets uh quite a bit hotter there last time we were there all together was like 98 degrees and i got to tell you a giant glacier water lake is a perfect solution to high temps yeah well speaking of high temps i'm making my way south right now i am currently recording in ashland oregon down by the oregon california border and it was about 85 today but it's going to get into the 90s this week so i uh I'll be feeling that pain with you, brother. Yeah, you will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you will. Central and Eastern Oregon are, uh, uh, that's a hot ass area. But once you get down into California and get to the Bay Area, typically it's not that hot down there. I was there in June uh, last year and it, I mean, it barely got above 62 degrees, uh, which was a little upsetting. So I can't imagine you're going to be baking at all once you get to the Bay Area. Yeah, it definitely gets cooler in the Bay Area. I think there's a quote by like Mark Twain or somebody that was like the coldest summer I ever spent was in San Francisco. Maybe it's like the coldest winter. I don't the quote is something like that. Um, but talking about how the summers is very cold in, in San Francisco compared to the rest of California. Man, it was brutal because I went to a Giants game. At, uh, I forget what the actual name of the park's called anymore. Or It's now Oracle. Oracle, okay. And that was the coldest baseball experience I have ever had, and it was like June 4th. They were winning 8-2. to two. It's the only time I voluntarily left the game early because I could not feel my hands. It was so, so cold and miserable. I, like, I'm like, okay, they're going to win. We got to go. I'm going to die out here. It sounds like you didn't dress for the weather. No, we did. That's the thing. We did have jackets. It's just like the wind coming off of the bay because it's literally right on the bay. It's right on the cove. And all that ocean wind coming in, it's like drops down to like the low 50s at night, even in the summertime. It was brutal, man. And this is still during COVID protocols. So the stadium was only like 40% full. And so you don't have like all that body heat kind of helping generate the temperature it was it was miserable man like i don't know <laughs> i don't know if i'd ever go back 
Well, I I will uh, I'll definitely try to go there when it's warmer. Then um, I don't know if I'll make it this time around, but we'll see. Go in the daytime. Go when the sun is out, because like that's the thing. There is like when you're in the shade and there's no sun, it's freezing, and then when you're in the sun, it feels okay. Yeah. All right. Well, our first bit of sports news today, uh, Bobby, the Portland Trailblazers are NBA champions. They beat the Knicks 85 to 77 today, and they take home the gold and the rings. Yeah, this this sounds like a statistic based in reality, John. I feel like there's a catch here. The catch is that it was the Las Vegas Summer League, uh, which I see. If uh, if you don't know, that is where all of the rookies and sophomores kind of do a a midsummer competitive league for like four or five games in Las Vegas. Uh, it's a big old shebang down there. A lot of networking among you know NBA front offices. It's kind of like a kickstart to the off season. You have all these new draft picks, kind of getting to know the team, getting to know the system, um, and so to be co- to be clear, Summer League Championship means absolutely nothing at all other than good vibes all around and a good memory for these youngsters um, that hopefully carries into the actual real games that matter in the fall. Mm, yeah, and the only championship that the Blazers will have, John, so hold on to it dearly. This is their second Summer League Championship in four attempts. So, you know, they're, so they're why, kind of... Why okay. isn't that talent? translating they're kind of owning the summer yeah but the problem is you need to own the winter and the spring true i'll i'll see if i can relay that message to them let them know that they're they're behind well i know you're working on schmoozing your way into that front office one step at a time john one step at a time one tweet at a time one tweet at a time yep exactly that's my that's my uh, miscellaneous sports news. What else you got for us? Yeah, you know, there's a documentary that I watched last night. Um, it's called After Jackie. And I heard about it first on one of my other favorite pods, R2C2. They were interviewing the director of this film. And um, it's a production for the History Channel. And it basically chronicles the fight um, for black people ball players after Jackie Robinson. I mean, I, I think most people and mo- especially baseball fans know the story of Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier. Uh, he was in the league for about 10 years. Um, but what most people don't know is that when he signed on, he was essentially told to be silent, um, to come into the league and kind of bear the brunt and that sacrifice of uh, the struggle and the racism that was going to be thrown his way to accept the death threats and um, the verbal assault and physical assaults. Like that was his job was to come in and just be a symbol and be a martyr and pave the way for uh, other black ball, ball players to come into the league. So what this chronicles in this documentary is some players after specifically on the St. Louis Cardinals, Bob Gibson and um, Bill White and, Oh man, give me a second here. I can't remember. Kurt Flood. Um, these three ball players that joined together on the St. Louis Cardinals, and they were, I mean, Bob Gibson is one of the best pitchers in baseball history. Um, Kurt Flood 
they documented his um, post-career struggles where he he fought the reserve clause in MLB. So um, I'm not terribly educated on this, but basically the reserve clause in MLB back in the day was you were basically in an indentured servant um, to your owner. Your owner could pay you whatever you wanted. Um, once they drafted you or they signed you originally, they had lifetime rights over you. Free agency wasn't a thing. And so they owned you. Uh, they owned everything about you and you didn't get to negotiate salary. You didn't get to request trades. You didn't get to, um, try to sign with other teams. Uh, and so Kurt flood challenges and said, Hey, like we're challenging a lot of freedoms here. This is one of them. Like I should have the choice on where I play. And ultimately, he went to the Supreme Court and he lost. However, it's then started multiple other um, kind of branched off lawsuits that eventually in 1975 turned um, into free agency and got rid of the reserve clause. Uh, and so free agency kind of became what we know is today. Um, and basically, to sum it up, it, it was chronicling these players saying they weren't just symbols like they were activists through and through, not just on the field, but off the field, because even though Jackie Robinson came into the league, you know, society and the culture for these players didn't change outside of the ballpark at all. Um, they still had to deal with abuse and segregation and very hostile racism wherever they went, especially in the South and spring training. Like They weren't allowed to stay at the same hotel as their white uh, teammates. And so these players on St. Louis, they fought against it. Their owners end up buying a hotel so that all the players could stay at the same hotel and kind of change the culture um, of that um, kind of segregation for baseball players in the South. So then hotels had to start letting black ball players stay with the white ball players. And, you know, it, there's a lot of small details here I'm not going to get into. But basically, um, you know, not everything was was sunshine and roses after Jackie Robson came to the league. There was still a huge fight, and there was a lot of players a decade or so after Jackie Robinson integrated that really had to put their foot down and say, now, wait a minute, just because we're playing baseball um, doesn't mean that we still have equal rights, and we need to work towards that. Uh, it's a really good documentary. If you love baseball history, if you love history in general, because a lot of baseball history correlates with American history, in a lot of ways. Um, really interesting, really well done. I, I would highly recommend it. Again, it's called After Jackie. How did you uh, find out about the documentary and what service is it on? Yeah, so again, I, I heard about it on uh, R2C2. They were uh, interviewing the director. Um, they had a, like a Juneteenth special and he was their closing interview. And I it's on Amazon. So I just rented it. It was only like 99 cents to rent it. Um, I think PBS. No, the history channel. You can, if you have like the history channel app, I think it's free on there um, as well. So there's a couple platforms, Amazon and the history channel, history channel.com. I believe you can find uh, that documentary on there. Awesome. Well, thank you for, uh, for sharing that. I'll have to check it out and, share my thoughts and keep adding to the baseball movie list that we made a couple weeks ago. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And it's just, uh, baseball history is just so 
it's just so rich in many different ways. And like I said, it correlates a lot of what was happening in American society at the time. So um, do yourself a favor. Just go look up these documentaries. Baseball by Ken Burns is another just incredible one. Um, that's so fascinating. Yeah, it's what it's one of the reasons I love baseball is because the history is just so deep and so rich. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's move to current baseball, where there's a lot going on. We are going to talk about kind of our first half impressions, check in on midseason awards, all that stuff. So, but let's just start kind of broad with what's on your mind, Bobby, you know, as we go into this all-star break, you know, what is surprising you, what's standing out to you as we are halfway through the season? Uh, well, I mean, first as a Yankees fan, I got to say, uh, what stands out the most to me is that the Yankees are the best team in baseball right now. I think that's the easiest observation I can have. Um, but outside of my own biases, I think, most of the division leaders are not a surprise. I am surprised on still, we've talked about it before, how bad the White Sox are. Mm -hmm. That's still, it's just shocking to me that they are hovering between second and third place in that division. I'm surprised how good the Guardians are. Um, and... Another thing, too, is I'm impressed by the Baltimore Orioles, which we talked about, I think, last week, and how talented they are. And, uh, you know, every team in the division of the AL East is above 500, which is a crazy statistic I haven't seen in a long time. And I think, you know, general observations about the game, You we talked about offense being down, but I, I don't know. I feel like the first month it was, and I really feel like the last couple months since May, offense has been... It's been pretty damn good uh, overall. I feel like pitching isn't as good as it has been. Uh, what, like, am I crazy there? What, what's your kind of observation on that? I'm not looking at any statistics here. Uh, just kind of going off of my general knowledge of the game right now. Yeah, well, we know that you know offense basically picks up. It continues to get hotter and hotter every month until September uh, when it drops off. So, like August is usually the peak offensive month. Uh, also the warmest month. Um, what I remember seeing is that May was still below historical averages for offense, um, but it was substantially better than April. So, you know, I think a lot of people didn't even notice because it was like that it was, you know, lower historically because it was just such a contrast from April, which was also low historically. Um, and then I don't know if June and July have been kind of caught back up to their historical averages, but I know the first two months of the season were, were very slow. I think the thing that I notice a lot is even maybe overall home runs might not be up. I am kind of shocked at how many players have hit 20 home runs by the All-Star break. And I feel like I haven't seen something like this in over 10 years. I mean, we have 14 players right now that have over 20 home runs, but <clears throat> by the all-star break, we have Aaron Judge, who has 33 home runs, which I think is the most amount at the break. And maybe I think maybe A-Rod had that like in 2012 or something. It's so about 10 years. 
Um, Kyle Schwarber got 29. Austin Riley, Jordan Alvarez, all close to 30. So there's a lot of individuals that are bopping the baseball right now. Yeah, for sure. It, it doesn't have the same vibe as 2019, but it's definitely uh, rebounded from 2020 and 2021. Yeah, I think maybe that's what like the contrast is that I'm seeing is that there seems to be stark contrast from the last two years where offense was was really down. And 2019 was like also a crazy year for offense. We've never seen anything like that. So I don't know. I don't know if I compare anything to that. That was such an anomaly. Yeah. Uh, as we're talking about just general impressions, and this team is not a division leader, so we should talk about it now. We should talk about two teams here. One, I'll start with bad. The Toronto Blue Jays fired their manager this week. Uh, oh, right. Very disappointing season for them. Uh, and the quotes that kind of came out of that situation were just not good. It sounds like he had kind of lost the locker room. And it was like beyond time for him to go. And I don't think he was the manager there very long. You know, correct me if I'm wrong, is it like three years or something like that? It's only been a couple of years. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, we've talked a little bit about the Blue Jays just underperforming expectations. A lot of people had them winning the AL pennant uh, and they might not go to the playoffs. I mean, currently right now, they're not in a playoff position. So, no, no, they are in a playoff position. Sorry. They're in the last wild card spot. So, I can actually change this. There's clearly something wrong there. Um, it's a team that had a lot of talent that a lot of us predicted to win that division, like you said, to win the pennant. And right now, they're holding on to the last wild card spot. And it's been fluctuating back and forth between them and Boston. Boston's kind of going through a slump right now the last week or so. They've kind of dropped in the standings. And like you said, a lot of the quotes that came out, like he said he lost the locker room. People felt like he wasn't showing any sort of leadership at all. And not that to say that appearances or anything, but when you looked at that guy, he didn't exude a lot of leadership and confidence. You know what I mean? Yeah. And just like his his body language it's in, and his mannerisms and how he handled himself in the game. So it just didn't seem to me like uh, after hearing everything that the team really trusted his direction. He kind of felt like that with like Joe Girardi was that guy too. Uh, And when things are getting tough and they will throughout the baseball season, like you really need a cohesive clubhouse. And uh, it sounds like with him there, that that wasn't the case. Do you think they can turn it around with the new interim manager? I mean, who knows? I mean, I feel like we've had a lot of firings this year. I think that's another impression I have in the first half. There's a lot of early managerial firings uh, with, you know, Los Angeles and Philadelphia, um, Toronto, and uh, there's another one, isn't there? Am I missing? What am I missing, John? Those are the only ones that I am aware of. Okay, well, even with that... (laughs) It's quite a bit. And, you know, Philadelphia, we've seen that they kind of rebounded. And right now they are in a playoff position, even with Bryce Harper out. But then you look at Anaheim, Los Angeles Angels, and uh, they've been the worst team in baseball since that point. Uh, Like easily, by far the worst team in baseball. So it's kind of a crapshoot. Who knows? I mean, the manager doesn't make a difference, but ultimately it's going to be on the players to rally up and work together. 
right. and I don't know. That division's really tough. That division's really tough. I mean, we've seen how good Boston can be uh, when they get hot. And honestly, we haven't seen Toronto get hot yet. So maybe they're just one hot streak away from solidifying that. Or maybe we just co- keep coasting around 500 and they flirt with danger the rest of the year. I Honestly, like my gut reaction is that they will not turn it around. They might sneak in as a wild card spot, but um, not as an actual threat to win in the pennant or anything like that. John, are you there? Yeah, I agree. I agree with you. I, I have that same take. Um, it's just going to be, going to be really hard to make up ground there in the ALEs, as you said. And they're probably going to, you know, take a wild card away from maybe a team that's a little more up and coming, like the Guardians you mentioned, um, you know, the Orioles even, you know, we, we might get snubbed on one of those kind of more fun teams for the, the Blue Jays that just kind of are like good enough to sneak in. Yeah, and Boston's right there at their heels, too. So, you know, it, I think the battle between those two teams, Tampa Bay keeps surprising me because they kind of drop down and they climb back up and they drop down and they climb back up. So, I don't know. It's still going to be, I think, ultimately a battle between those three teams. And it seems like Seattle is starting to coast. So, they might just uh, sit comfortably in one of those spots. Yeah, that was the other team I was going to mention. So, great, great segue, reading my mind there. Um, the Mariners have won 14 in a row, Bobby. Uh, it's insane. And I believe <laughs> it's I insane. read a stat that that is the most wins going into the all-star break of any team. Um, let's see. This is from the Seattle times. The streak is the longest by any team going into the all-star break in major league history. Only three other teams have gone into the break with at least 10 consecutive wins. Uh, and all three won a pennant. So that's encouraging. I mean, do we think the Mariners are winning the pennant this year? I don't think so, but... Uh, <laughs> no, I don't think so either. They're in some good company. It's a good... Yeah, it's a good group to be in. Uh, you know, it's... It's interesting because I think I had really high aspirations for them at the beginning of the year, and then they were pretty disappointing after April. And I kind of reserved the fact that they were out of it. But now, I mean, they're just coasting through. I think if any team out there wishes there wasn't an all-star break, it's the Seattle Mariners. They just want to keep going. Yeah. Um, I still, like, they they always do this in July, you know? Like, the last it's true. several years, right? last year being one of them, and then, you know, maybe a couple of years before that where... They're in a wild card spot in July and they have you feeling really good. <laughs> and so I don't want to get too optimistic, um, but the vibes are good. They had, had not had a winning streak like that um, in any of those seasons. And they just need to keep doing what they're doing. They, they can't slow down at all. They can't get comfortable, you know, no more five and five stretches after this, you know, got to keep, Keep being six and four at a minimum, I think, to, to comfortably get through August. You know, selfishly, I hope that they're only half a game out from that top spot. 
from Tampa Bay. And if they get that top spot, then the, they'll host a playoff game. And I'm go- I will go to that game. That'll be the first playoff game I've ever been to. So just for my own pure selfishness, I hope that they do keep coasting and they get that top wildcard spot so I can go see them play. I just hope they don't have to pay the Yankees because then I owe you a ticket. Well, <laughs> they they won't in, unless they... Um, unless they win their wild card round, because right now they would play. So let's see, they would be the four seed and they'd play the five seed at home. And that's a best of three. And uh, so they wouldn't play the Yankees unless they advanced around. And then I think if the Yankees are number one, then I believe that the winner of that round that the Mariners would be in uh, would play the number one seed, which hopefully would be the Yankees. So in that case, that could happen, John. All right. That could happen. I'm going to save up. I'm going to put a couple pennies in the jar tonight. <laughs> there you go. Thankfully, that'll be um, a couple months after your start date at uh, at Intel. So hopefully it makes it a little easier to save up. Yeah, there we go. Um, I just want to take a moment to think about like how crazy this city would go for even for like a one game playoff series or like play in whatever you want to call it like the fact that it's been 21 years 20 years 21 years yeah i mean you'd have to think that, that stadium would be pretty full and people would be driving in from all sides of the west coast oh you know and now i'm thinking about it too even if they even if they don't even if they don't get the top wild card spot, I believe they'll still mm, they might still host the game. I need to look up the rules. I don't know if like in the wild card round, the top seed hosts all the games or not. I'm not sure there. So, but yeah, I, I mean, there's no team within a thousand miles that's made the playoffs. Talking about the Rockies, you know, like you're going to get everybody from everywhere, Canada, all these people coming in, especially if they play a team like Toronto, because Toronto travels so well here. Um, that stadium would be crazy. I mean, T-Mobile Park would be jumping up and down. It'd be a pretty fun atmosphere to be in. Um, that, that stadium has not had for, like I said, the 21 years, the first two lot, first two years of its life. I'm excited for that, man. Even like the September race, being able to go to games there, you're going to have to come up to a game or two with me, John, during that September race, because even the atmosphere there, I'm sure, is going to be electric. Yeah, we'll, we'll make it happen. Um, okay, let's move on to the division leaders. So you had kind of referenced this earlier, but we, uh, we don't have a lot of surprises here. Yankees, Twins, Astros, all in the AL, and then Mets, Brewers, and Dodgers in the NL. I I think the only one that was a big surprise to me was the Mets because I had the Braves there. I believe I also had Blue Jays in the AL East, um, but we've already talked about that. So yeah. any any other surprise to you? Well, I mean, I already mentioned it when you asked me about impressions. Twins are a surprise, not just be, not because it's the Twins, but because it's not the White Sox. Sure, I think that's sure. a surprise to me, but everything else has been pretty in line. Obviously, I felt like the Yankees and Blue Jays at the beginning of the year would kind of battle it out, and I, I gave the edge to the Blue Jays. We're running away with it. We have, 
what do we have a 13 game lead going in into the all-star break um that's pretty that's pretty comfortable especially the way we're playing um you know a couple races to look at is that al central is as bad as it is it's still really close the white Sox, they are at 500 they're only three games out of first Cleveland Guardians are only two games out of first. So between the first and third place team, it only separates three games. And then um, you know, the other two races to look at, and you talk about the Braves you thought would be in the East, and so do I. And I do think at the end of the year, it will be the Braves. So the Braves, I think, were 11 or 12 games back maybe a month ago, and now they're two and a half back heading into the All-Star break. And they did have a chance. They played the Mets, and they lost that series against the Mets this last week. Um, otherwise, they might be sitting on top of the division. So they'll have more, a lot more games against the Mets in that second half, and I, I really feel like the Braves will close that gap. Um, St. Louis is only a half game back from Milwaukee right now. A lot of people predict St. Louis will take that division. A lot of people feel like they are the better team. Um I'm kind of I'm kind of on that bandwagon, even though I picked the Brewers. Uh, what do you think? With the caveat that I haven't watched much of either team, I still am going to go with the Brewers, uh, just because they've dominated that division for the past like three years, and we just know how to win it. They know how to close it out. I I mean I think St. Louis has a. a enough veterans mm-hmm. on that team talking about Adam Wainwright. My guy. Adam Wainwright's been around for a long ass time. So I feel like they have that, they have that grit and that tenacity too. And I, with the way Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado are playing, it's, it's hard to think that the Brewers can keep up with that talent. Yeah. Um, let's go to the wild cards. So Bobby, I think you have a better grip on, the, how those situations will play out right now. Um, so why don't you walk us through what the wild cards would be if the playoffs happened today? Yeah, so right now, we're going to start with the American League. American League, they have three wild card positions. Um, so in descending order, Tampa Bay, Seattle, and Toronto are in, the, in those positions. Tampa Bay would host Seattle as it stands. And then Toronto, the last wild card team, would face the um, division winner with the worst record, which would be Minnesota. So Minnesota would host Toronto in the wild card round. So that's those are the two series, and then the first, um, the top two seeds in the in the league would get a buy. So the Yankees and Astros would get a buy. Um, so as it stands, it'd be Minnesota, Toronto, and Tampa Bay and Seattle in the are American League. Those three game series. They are three game series, and I again, I don't know if the top seed hosts all games. I want to say yes, they do, uh, because that'd be kind of it'd be kind of awkward to have like the home team host game one, travel to the lower seeded team for one game, then travel back if uh, if the if the um, series is continued to the last game. So I don't know. I got to look that up, but right now it's a three game series. Yes. Yeah. And I think Boston could, could squeak in there. They're three and seven, their last 10, they fell out of that wild card race. And only like a week and a half ago, they were the top seed. So I, I feel like this, this race is going to fluctuate quite a bit between Tampa Bay, Seattle, Toronto, and Boston. Um, and we've, 
I think Seattle has the skill to keep it going, but I think the other two spots will be an American League East team for sure. And uh, in the NL, we have Atlanta at the top spot, San Diego, and then Philadelphia, surprisingly. And they're tied with St. Louis. They both have the same, um, technically the same record. So Philadelphia and St. Louis right now. And I think St. Louis is the better team. And I think ultimately if it's the Brewers or St. Louis, they'll get that final spot. I just can't see Philadelphia holding on for the rest of the season. I just don't see like what do you do you think that they have if Bryce Harper comes back in September you think they're still hanging around well I I feel like the team that's missing here is San Francisco what is we haven't mentioned them in a long time so yeah I I just to them to where they have lost out on this spot to Philadelphia I don't think San Francisco I, I just don't think they have it this year and I've been rooting for them for before the season, at the beginning of the season, I was like, no, they'll, they'll, they won 100 and whatever, seven games last year. They're not as bad as people think. Like, don't sleep on the Giants. And they're not a bad team, but they just don't seem to have. And maybe during the trade deadline, they get it. They don't seem to have quite the oomph to get over the hill this year. And a lot of it's their pitching. They're, they have a lot of injuries, so they're starting pitching. That was last year. Their bullpen, their starting pitching was I think the best in baseball and that's really what drove them to win as many games as they did because their offense really isn't there even though they led the league in home runs like they're not going to score a lot of runs typically um they need that pitching they just don't have it this year and I just don't see it they don't seem to have that edge hey Bobby so I, I could be wrong maybe they should trade for Chris Bryant <laughs> yeah well they had that chance they had that chance and uh now he's uh, playing in uh, Mile High Country, collecting his paycheck and living in mediocrity. There you go. All right. Um, speaking of mediocrity, I think that the Phillies are the definition of mediocrity, and I, I think that they will not make the playoffs. But uh, no. Yeah, no, they just don't have it. Be San Francisco next closest team. I think I think towards the end of the year, if there is a team flirting with it, it probably will be San Francisco. But I don't think they pull through. Okay, so you think that Philadelphia actually has that locked in pretty good? No, no, no. I think Philadelphia is going to drop out, and St. Louis is tied with Philly right now. St. Louis or Milwaukee, whoever doesn't win the division will get that final wild card spot. I think whoever is in the ALE or NL East will get the top spot, whether it be Atlanta or the Mets and uh, San Diego is just going to sit there right in the middle. So I think at the end of the year, it'll be uh, NL East, San Diego, and then uh, NL Central in the last spot, if that makes sense. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I forgot about those pesky Cardinals. That's right, man. They're good. They are good. They're good. They got a plus 65 run differential. Not too bad. All right. Um, so now we'll go into uh, batting and pitching leaders. So were you were you just wanting to do... Oh, you're cutting out a little bit, my guy. That Zoom Ashlyn Wi-Fi is getting to you. 
<laughs> no, folks. We're losing John. We're losing John. I'm here. I'm here. Okay. I can hear you. I can hear you. Okay. What was your thought with the batting and pitching leaders? Yeah, so I just wanted to go over um wanted to go over just our basic so who's leading the league and wins ERA strikeouts and then who's leading and uh batting average, home runs, and uh RBIs and OPS. What do you think of that? All right. That sounds good. I'll I'll take the hitters. Okay, you'll take the hitters. All right. Okay. So leading in average, uh, I'll do the top three. Luis Arias, three forty-two. He's the uh, utility man for the Minnesota Twins. Paul Goldschmidt batting three thirty for the Cardinals, and then Rafael Devers batting three twenty-seven for the Red Sox. And that average has actually come down uh, quite a bit from I think only a few weeks ago he was batting something crazy like three fifty. Um, but yeah, Luis Arias just continues to be like, the only thing he does is give you average. Like, he doesn't give you anything else. And he plays like position. He's just a funny yeah, player. Yeah, he does. All right. So that's your average. What do we got? RBIs, home runs, OPS. Okay. RBIs. We have Pete Alonzo with 77, Jose Ramirez with 75, and Paul Goldschmidt with 70. Um, home runs, as you mentioned, Aaron Judge, 33, Kyle Schwarber, 29, Austin Riley, 27. Uh, no surprises there. They are all sluggers. They've been sluggers for a long time. And then OPS, we have Jordan Alvarez at 1058, Paul Goldschmidt at 1004, and Rafael Devers at 989. So, you know, pretty interesting that Jordan Alvarez is you know we think of him as like this big home run hitter slugger like his quality of contact and his frequency of contact is like career high right now he's batting 306 which i did not Mm. expect him to crack 300 yeah you don't expect a big guy that's as powerful as he is to also be hitting above 300 and he's he's a sneaky good hitter and i think his strikeout rate's gone down a little bit i think that was an issue when he first came up but as his OPS shows, uh, hits a lot of home runs and he gets on base. Sure. All right. Pitchers. Pitchers. All right. Let's see. So with wins, uh, heading into the all-star break, Justin Verlander is leading the league. Uh, the majors with 12 and, um, it's pretty incredible. We talked about it. You've talked about it a lot. I know you have quite a big, big crush on Justin Verlander. Um, but the season he's had since not pitching for essentially like two years, seems like two, three years at his age is astronomical. It's incredible. Smart. So he's leading, and in baseball. he's leading the league, uh, the majors and wins right now. Um, strikeouts, your boy, Shane McClanahan, 147 right now. Uh, Corbin Burns, pretty close with 144 Dylan Cease. Chicago, not an all-star, by the way, Dylan Cease, uh, at 142. So that's a pretty close race right there. Um, you, and just to throw back to the wins. Oh, go ahead. Do you think we'll get to 300 strikeouts this year, or do you think it's no chance? I mean, you know, like you mentioned, 
September seems to be a pretty good month for pitchers. So, you know, as hitters are getting tired, you might see strikeouts ramp up a little bit. So, I don't know. You could see it. The problem is just that, like, pitchers on playoff teams typically get shut down. Yeah, they skip starts and they rest. Yeah. So, I I mean, maybe if, if Shane McClanahan is flirting with it and he's close, you know, maybe they let him go. But then, you know, the way Tampa Bay does things, they couldn't care less about statistics it's all about analytics so like i don't think they would care they wouldn't like okay go an extra innings see if you can get it that's not uh that's not what they do over there i'm pretty sure the last time somebody had 300 strikeouts i was like 12 years old so uh i'm gonna hope that that changes this year i'd really like it was like randy johnson maybe i don't even know i think it was more recent than that but i think it was like the late 2000s yeah, it's just like 20, 20 wins, 300 strikeouts, 200 innings pitched are all kind of pitching statistics you don't see very much anymore. Yeah. Although Verlander could get there that year for the wins. Um, also to throw it back a little bit, a couple other pitchers that are close um, with wins, Gonsolin and um, who is this? Kyle Wright has got 11 wins? He's still, man, the Braves have sneaky good starters. Sneaky good. I don't know how sneaky it is. Uh, they were in the World Series last year. Yeah, not with Kyle Wright or Spencer Strider, though. True, true. So, anyways, and then uh, where is... Gotta keep scrolling. Earn runs, earn runs, earn runs. Oh, my God, baseball reference. You're killing me. There we go. Shane McClanahan's leading the majors with an ERA of 1.71. There we go. Strikeouts. Pretty damn good. Strikeouts and limiting runs. That's the uh, perfect combo. You thought he was a strikeout-only pitcher. Well, you know, if you're striking out everybody, it's hard to score runs. That would make logical sense. And, uh... Sandy Alcantara is uh, one one seven six right behind him at second place, who's uh, just an all star shining down in the dumps of Miami right now. Yeah, Sandy's really good. Um, he's super good. Really underrated, and nobody pays attention to the Marlins. But if he ever got super traded good. from the Marlins, people would know who he was. Yeah, I mean, he might win a Cy Young at the end of this year. Hopefully, that'll help. Yeah. Which, uh, I guess, leads us into our mid-season awards, John. Yes. So I put down a couple people, AL MVP, NL MVP. Kind of, I thought, yeah, these are people that we could agree on, but why don't you start? Who do you think wins AL MVP as of right now? Who's our mid-season award? AL MVP. Well, I think I'm tempted to go with Jordan Alvarez because we just said he leaded the league in OPS, batting 306 with a ton of home runs. But I don't think he's played as many games. You can fact check me on this uh, as some of our other candidates. So I will go with Aaron Judge, despite the fact that he has lower OPS, lower batting average. But I think he has more games played and he had a lot more home runs. And he plays for a better team. 
He does. Yeah. I mean, not to say that Houston isn't right on our tails because they are. They seem to have not lost in the last two months. And I think we end, we go on the all-star break and they're only three games behind us for the best record in the bigs. Um, and that's pretty crazy considering we're on a pace to win like 115 games. So potentially there could be two teams that win 110 games in the American League this year. I What I will say on the AL MVP race is that I want it to be judged, but the more I look at things objectively and listen to experts in the game, I don't know how I could vote against Shohei Otani because like the idea is, is that Aaron judge plays, uh, he plays the field, which, you know, during MVP consideration, defense is usually not considered into things, but he does. He plays the field and Shohei doesn't. Um, but Shohei is a top 15 hitter and a top five pitcher. And so when you look at Jordan Alvarez, you look at Aaron Judge, neither of them pitch. They can't pitch. Shohei is a dominant top five, top 10 pitcher. And then you look at on the hitting side, okay, well, Jordan, Aaron Judge, Shohei all hit, and they're all kind of in the same category. So because Shohei is such a dominant pitcher, it's kind of an unfair advantage, but it is an advantage nonetheless. And so I have a hard time voting against him. I mean, he's offensively, when we talk about just standard batting, he's got 19 home runs, 56 RBIs on the season, uh, 835 OPS, which isn't insane, but it's very good. Batting average around 258. Okay, so he's a power hitter. He hits strong power hitter. But on the pitching side, when you look at it, he has a 238 ERA, started 15 games, and he's got 123 strikeouts. It's just, it's, it's just like, it seems like an unfair advantage. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I always have a hard time with Shohei because, you know, like his offensive stats that you just read out are actually down from last year when he uh, was in the MVP race. So, but I, I thought, I don't know how his pitching compares. I'll, I'll have to look that up um, when you're going through the next player. But yeah, it, it, it's, it's hard. I, I think I would not be bothered if he got MVP, um, but I would certainly say he's having a weaker season than last year. And, you know, are the guys that are behind him in your mind, you know, I, Judge and Jordan are having better seasons than I think the, you know, like Vlad Guerrero Jr. last year, for instance. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, like if Judge goes out, and hits 60 home runs, I think people are, like, they can't not vote him MVP. We haven't seen anybody hit 60 home runs since, I think, 2001. It's been a long time. So it's been 20 years, I believe, since somebody's hit 60 home runs. I think that would push him over the top. But, yeah, offensively, Shohei's numbers are down, but that's because last year his numbers were insane. You know, he had 50, 46 home runs. And he's on pace to hit close to 40 home runs this year. So it's not like he's having a bad offensive season. It's just not as good. But this year, his pitching is way better than last year. So you could argue that those two balance themselves out. Yeah, and I guess, you know, I'm taking a closer look at 
his numbers from 2021, and I probably exaggerated season in 2021, and his batting is actually not terribly far off. Um, it's the slugging where it's trailed off, but when you talk about runs and RBIs, he's actually on a similar pace. Right. Right, so I think it'll be interesting. I think it'll come down to the end of the season. Um, you know, if Judge hits 50 home runs, but Shohei goes out and hits, you know, 40 home runs again and, you know, has an ERA of 2.2 with 200-plus strikeouts, 250 strikeouts, and uh, 15 wins, that's going to be a hard thing to vote against. Yeah, you should probably get it in that case. Um, let's move on to NL. We, I think, both have Paul Goldschmidt as our yeah. uh, NL MVP. We mentioned earlier he leads the NL in OPS, um, and he is up there in batting average. We've second in batting average as well. Um, so, I, not a lot more to say there. And you know, he's a good defensive first baseman too. Yeah, and he drives in a lot of runs. I think he's second in the bigs and RBIs. So pretty much all the triple crown areas, average RBIs and home runs, he's in the top 10. Um, and he's an incredible defensive first baseman. And at his age, too, uh, he's having a great season. I think all across the board, it's hard to argue against him in the NL. Yep. Uh, back to pitchers. We, we already talked quite a bit about these guys. So in the AL, we have Justin Berlander as our Cy Young and Sandy Alcantara as our uh, NL. I guess the only other thing I would say is Shane McClanahan, you know, yeah, yeah, more, more strikeouts, uh, lower ERA than Verlander, but I also love Verlander, so I won't, uh, I won't gripe too much about it. Yeah, I could see, I could see Shane easily winning too. Um, I just think with everything, how good, the Astros are for Lander coming back. I just think right now he probably has the edge a little bit, but Shane McClanahan is also having a dominant season. I think it could be a coin toss at the end of the year. It'll be really interesting to see what the second half to look like for both players. Like mm -hmm. it's going to be a little bit of a staring contest. I feel like of who blinks first in terms of who just stops playing and like, you know, their innings count goes way down. Um, because, you know, you usually, like you were saying earlier, Tampa Bay loves innings restrictions towards the end of the season. They never let their guys, you know, pitch 200 innings. Whereas the Astros, on the other hand, you know, Verlander has precedent of pitching a lot of innings, and the Astros let their studs pitch a lot. However, because he's coming back from that two years of injury, you have to wonder, are they going to, limit him a little bit more and as at, at his age i don't think so i think with dusty baker being an old school manager like he is i think they let him fly so i think if you're talking about who's going to pitch the most innings in the second half it's going to be verlander all right well then uh, then he may that may be the difference in the race because i i don't see their performance actually going down much in the second half no i don't think so either um Again, Shane Clanahan's put on a great season. It's fun to watch a pitch. It, unless it's against the Yankees, then it's not so fun. Yeah. That's when it's the best. Uh, <laughs> rookie of the year, we do need to spend a minute talking about Julio Rodriguez, who's like 
you know, he's an all-star. I think I had pretty high expectations of him going into the year. There was a ton of hype and I was a little worried that I might've been getting carried away. And I think he's blown those. I don't think a lot of people seriously thought he was going to be an all-star in his first season. No, I mean, rookies typically aren't, but he is, he is, he definitely is an all-star and it's not, we'll talk about this in a second. He's in the home run derby as well, but it's not just his offensive statistics, which are extremely good for a rookie, but defensively he's really good, but also on the base paths, like he's got 21 stolen bases. Um, so he's a five tool player all across the board. He's, he's really fun to watch. I've got to watch him a couple times this year. Um, you know, I had that game against the A's and the first pitch he saw, he was leading off. He hit it 350 feet into the left field bleachers. The dude's talented. He's a stud and he's here to stay. Yep. Can't deny that. And then in the NL, we have uh, a guy that we talked about early on in the season, not as a contender for this award, but just kind of an interesting young pitcher. Um, and usually rookie of the year, it doesn't go to pitchers very often, but I think this guy's deserving of it. And that's Spencer Strider, who came in as a bullpen arm for the Braves and, you know, was fairly unproven and has worked his way into the rotation and become absolutely dominant in the rotation ahead of a lot of these other prospects from, you know, three, four years ago, like the Max Freeds and the Kyle Wrights of the world. And Spencer Strider said, uh, Move aside. It's it's my time to be the ace of the Braves. He's so fun to watch. He's so electric. One of the stats that blows me away, John, is that he has 70 innings pitched this year and 110 strikeouts. Can you guess off the top of your head how many strikeouts per nine that is? Uh, it's like uh, a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> 14.1 strikeouts too late to do nine. the math right now 14.1 strikeouts per nine the, the guy you talk about shane mcclanahan this guy if you give him a full season he might throw like he might be the guy they get 300 strikeouts people like his stuff is so disgusting and electric he's i don't know he's probably in the bigs right now he's my my favorite pitcher to watch he's the most fun to watch pitch you know what's funny though is that uh, he doesn't even lead the team in strikeouts. Yeah, well, he's only gets seven innings pitched. That's, <laughs> guess, that's not comparable. Guess who leads the team in strikeouts? Uh, I don't know off the top of my head. Maybe I would guess Max Freed. Uh, it's actually not. So Spencer Strider has 110. Max Freed has 109. And old man Rivers, Charlie Morton, has 114. I should have known. known. That's why you brought that up. Should have known. Uh, I just think that's pretty funny that uh, Charlie Morton has more strikeouts than Justin Verlander this year. Um, but his stats are pretty bad. Pretty bad. Well, the Braves are winning now, so he's getting it going as much as he can. And with Kyle Wright, Max Fried, and Spencer Strider, they can they can afford to have, you know, a mid-level starter. Yeah. All right, and then uh, our World Series prediction. Uh, I don't think so. We didn't write it down. Who do you got, John? Who do you think right now, midseason? 
I will go with the Dodgers. Okay, in the World Series though, let's let's go. Who's playing in the World oh, Series? Oh, I, then... okay. Um, I'll say now Yankees Dodgers. I'll say that the Dodgers win. With the Dodgers winning, yeah. I see how it is, John. Yep. I think we're a better team than the Dodgers. You know, obviously I'm biased, but also trying to be as objective as possible. I think we're a better team. Yeah, but does your pitch, does your starting pitching, is it going to have the legs in the playoffs? I mean, you know, our pitching the last week and a half has been absolute shit fire. But before that, we were leading the majors in uh, in pitching in ERA with bullpen and starters. So, yeah, I think so. Well, I think what's the diagnosis on Severino? Sevy, they're shutting him down for two weeks um, with no throwing, and then he'll ramp back up. Honestly, I haven't seen much information on him because we were losing a lot and I stay away from social media because uh, I'm a big baby when we lose a lot. And uh, anyway, there is talks that we could go out and get Luis Castillo from the Reds. And I think that would be a really good idea, especially if we don't know how Seve's going to be. Also, Jameson Tyon, he had a great start yesterday, but before that he had given up 20 runs in 21 innings, uh, which... Yeah, if you're doing the math, that's not very good. So I have a huge question mark on him. So if we go out and get a big starter like Luis Castillo, I think, yeah, 100%, that would be more than enough pitching to uh, get past the Dodgers or any other team. All right. So that's my World Series prediction. What's yours? Uh, I think it'll be the Yankees and the Braves. I think the Braves are ultimately going to be the best team in the National League. I, I I think I picked them at the beginning of the year. Um, seeing how they are now, I really think that they are going to go through. I, I think they have the Dodgers number. I mean, they really should have gone in 2020, and they kind of choked. And then they beat them in 2021. I don't, like, the Dodgers, um, they don't have anything above the Braves. The Braves have their number in my mind. So I think Yankees, Braves, but I will say that the Astros scared the shit out of me. And uh, they're going to be a real big test for us in the playoffs. All right. Yeah, I I can agree with that. I think the reason I go back to the Dodgers is just I trust their rotation. Um, they always seem to have such flexibility with their pitchers. Uh, and they're, you know, even if they're some guy like, Clayton Kershaw is having an off night. They, they just seem to find a way to plug guys in and then rearrange their rotation in the playoffs. And uh, yeah, I, they're deep. Their pitching is deep. Yeah, I do think they have deeper pitching as well. I think their bullpen's probably better than the Braves. I do think their rotation right now for the Braves is a little bit better than the Dodgers because the Dodgers are a little banged up. Right. Okay. Um, on to the home run derby roster. Julio headlining it. Oh my God. I missed, I lost my article. So it's Julio. Oh, give me a second. Derby roster. And there's Julio. There's um, Jose Ramirez. I know is in it. Um, Kyle Schwarber. That should be fun. Albert Pujols is in it, and when I saw that, I was like, why? 
Like, why? <laughs> like, the home run derby is supposed to be entertaining. Like, why are we throwing a bone to Albert Pujols to hit one home run? Yeah, they're they're really doing the, um, oh, what do you call it, when the player's in their last year, like the swan song or whatever. Yeah, I'm not sure how much I like they're, that. They're but... pulling all the stops out just like they did in Kobe's last season, Dwayne Wade's last season. They're, they're going all out. So he's a contestant, but not really. Um, Pete Alonzo's in it. I think that's a good pick. Ronald Acuna Jr. is in it. Corey Seager just snuck in. Um, he's got 21 bombs on the season, so he's kind of quietly having a good year in Texas. Uh, Julio, like we talked about. Juan Soto's there. He's always a fun person. He's got 20 bombs on the season. Um, he's just good entertainment. I, I think that's that's it's good for baseball anytime that he's on the screen. Uh, Joe Ram, and uh, so that takes care of everything. It's Jose Ramirez, Juan Soto, Julio Rodriguez, Corey Seager, Ronald Cunha Jr., Pete Alonzo, Albert Pujols, and Kyle Schwarber. All right. So that rounds out the roster, and that's Monday. So if you got nothing going on, check it out. on. I think it's usually on ESPN, Home Run Derby on Monday. What's your prediction? Who's going to win? You know, I... I think Pete Alonzo wins because he's he won last year, I think. He took mine. And <laughs> I just think he's got the swing for it, you know? I, I think if we're going to talk about who he's going to go up against, because I do think it's going to be him, I think mm, it's probably either going to be, in my mind, it's either going to be Juan Soto or Kyle Schwarber. But I'm going to go with Schwarber. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna say Pete Alonso wins it all. I, I think he's like I said, his swing is just kind of made for this tournament. He's not the best hitter of these guys, but he's the best home run derby hitter of them. He's got a lot of pop, yo. Yeah, he hits a lot of home runs. And then, um, so that's Monday. And then, go ahead, John. Oh, I was gonna say. So later in the week, uh, to close it out, the All Star roster updates. You had some last minute uh, news items there. Yeah, so you we talked about, I think, last time is that injuries happen, players sit out, so on and so forth. So there's always replacements on the All-Star team. So couple couple ones to note. Starling Marte, he's sitting out. Freddie Freeman's taking his position. Uh, Corbin Burns, pitcher for the Brewers, he's sitting out. Miles Michaelis from the Cardinals is taking his spot. Um, our boy Ty France now is in the All-Star game because Mike Trout is not going to play. Um, which is sad because he's, you know, a generational player, but apparently doesn't put a lot of importance on the All-Star game. Uh, I don't know why, since he doesn't have any other importance for the Angels, you might as well play in the All-Star game. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, it's your pro- play your highest profile game. That's what I'm saying. Like, what are you risking, man? <laughs> like, might as well go to Los Angeles and enjoy the festival. Although he's also like, hey, you know, this is my... 12th year not not really 10th year doing the all-star game maybe he's just bored of it yeah i mean maybe he wants to i guess it's in los angeles so he's already in los angeles now that i think of it so he's not traveling anywhere maybe he is maybe he's like i'm gonna take this opportunity to go to cancun and spend it with my family and now he's gonna go to he's gonna go to pennsylvania he's gonna go to philadelphia and do Philadelphia things because he loves Pennsylvania. Yeah, not think about baseball and the Angels for a week. 
uh he needs it man so i think yeah that nice break away from <laughs> away from the angels could clear his head um byron buxton's taking his starting position uh it's like devin williams for the nl uh made it one of the high profile relievers for the brewers liam hendricks and jordan romano for the al two closers making it um garrett cole Justin Verlander, your boy, and Max Fried are all sitting out. So they're not going to participate in the All-Star game. Um, let's see. Jake Cronenworth of the Bray, or the, the Padres is in. Austin Riley, who we thought was a big snub, is uh, jumping in now, replacing a couple of NL players. Um, now Jose Altuve is sitting out, so Santiago Espinal is going to take his spot. So those are kind of the uh the summary of all the players that are in and uh some of the players are sitting out i'd say the biggest disappointments for me the players that aren't going to play is uh mike trout and garrett cole justin verlander um kind of unfortunate but i'm glad to see that austin riley and ty france were able to sneak in yeah uh i think i lost you there for a second but yeah i i think that this is just something we're going to see with pitchers that, you know, they're going to be rested guys like Cole and Verlander who are over that magical age of 30. Um, you're going to see probably less and less of them playing in the all-star game going forward in today's day and age. Uh, but good to see Ty France sneak in there. Good to see Austin Riley sneak in there as well. Yes, sir. Um, so yeah, all-star game, I think is on wait the 19th. No, not the 19th, 19th. 19th. Yeah. 19th, which is Tuesday um so los angeles check it out i think baseball in my mind has the best all-star festivities of all major north american sports john what do you think about that uh, i cannot comment on the nfl or the nhl or the wnba or mls does mls have an all-star game i think they do okay yeah i think they do so i am going to uh, remove myself from answering that question <laughs> uh, uh I, I will not and i will stand i think what you're firmly. trying i think what you're trying to get at is that the nba's all-star weekend sucks and i agree and we that yeah, was NFL, the, nfl is a joke too with the pro bowl so yeah um so sure i'll say of the three major sports the mlb has the best one thank you for agreeing with me as always john yes as always um any anything else i didn't put this on the agenda but like anything to look out for in the second half in your mind like is there any like big storylines or we have the trade deadline coming up in a couple weeks actually like yeah two weeks i think to the day um that'll be exciting do you have any trades or storylines or teams uh, that uh we should look out for in the second half yeah i mean kind of the obvious of like of the buyers out there how aggressive are they going to be so you know, teams like Toronto, Boston, Tampa Bay, how aggressive are they going to be in the trade market? Are the Mariners going to be aggressive? Um, you know, I think the Cardinals usually are never aggressive in the middle of the season. They seem to do most of their moves in the offseason. So I wouldn't state much from the Cardinals. But, like, the Padres, the Giants, like, do those teams – Watch out for rumors around those teams. I think they're the ones most likely to make an upgrade. I don't think the Braves will do do anything. They they did make a minor move or two already, 
Um, but I think the Braves are confident enough in their roster now that they're playing better. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd watch those AL East teams, the Mariners, the Padres, and the Giants. I think, um, you know, as far as teams to watch in the second half, uh, watch the Braves. I really feel like they're going to come out and flirt with the best record in the NL. Um, and the Mariners are a big storyline. Like, those are the kind of two teams I have my eyes on. Uh, and the and the AL Central, too. Who knows who's going to win that division? Uh, it really could be a toss-up. And, you know, as far as teams that are going to upgrade, I think the Twins are a team that needs something to keep their lead in that division um, and really propel them forward. One of the biggest storylines to watch, though, especially over the next two weeks that we didn't mention, I forgot to mention, is Juan Soto. Uh, So Juan Soto has been up and down all year about contract extensions. He said he wants to hit free agency. There was rumor that he was offered like $350 million before the season. He turned it down. Well, another leak happened from the Washington Nationals. Turns out they offered him some crazy, like, what, 13 years, $450 million or something like that. Crazy numbers, but his average annual salary was only $29 million. And I say only, it's still a lot of money, but when you consider players like Max Scherzer, who's making $43 million, um, and the type of generational player and how young Juan Soto is, it, it doesn't seem quite um, close enough to the money that he should be getting. So the Nationals put everything into an extension. Juan Soto declines it. Now the Nationals supposedly are shopping him around the bigs. And so there's potential that Juan Soto could change teams in the next two weeks. And I would say if that happens, that's the biggest storyline heading into the second half and certainly something to watch out for for the next two weeks. I just don't understand that because it's like he's younger than most guys getting called up right now yeah yeah he is why would it's only 23 not build your team around him because he doesn't want that extension uh so they offered him as much money as i think that they want to and he he's not going to sign it now then he's not going to sign it in whatever two years so you might as well get him at his highest value why not just uh give him you know like a higher annual value for less years see if he'll take that you know 10 years eight years well maybe they did like it's hard to know on his side because like some players just care about the average annual salary some people care about the length of the contract which is what freddie freeman was running into and some players care about both they want the largest contract in history both number total um average annual salary and they want whatever 15 year contract i I think now i'm thinking about that is what they offered him was a 15 year contract because he is so young. So he might be looking at all of those. So that might be the best they could do in all of those areas. And he said no. So he might not be looking for like a six-year deal making $50 million a year. He might be like, I need a 10-plus year deal, and I need to make $45 million a year. You know, that might be his there's a requirements right now. It is pretty wild, that asking price, and the fact that like he would only have one contract over his whole career. Like that's that's kind of unprecedented. Yeah, I mean that's kind of what we're seeing right now. We've been seeing, you know, Bryce Harper. I know he didn't have only one, but he signed a thirteen-year deal, so that's the contract he's probably gonna end his career on. Manny Machado, close. 
you know, maybe at the twilight of their career, they signed a one or two year deal, but for more, more or less, these big names are getting a career contract. Yeah. One, uh, one player who did that, that I also wanted to mention things to look out for is Fernando Tatis Jr. Yes, he still exists. He's still alive out there somewhere. Um, there was a report this week that he's been approved to go basically through. Sorry, my cat. Uh, go through batting practice now. So um, we should see him. This is later than we thought we were going to see him. We thought we were going to see him in June and it'd be yep. July. Now it's going to be August. But, you know, could could be helpful for the Padres. I mean, it will be helpful. And we talk about trade deadline and people trying to... You talked about the Padres adding a player. Well, they're going to add the best player they possibly can, and they don't have to trade for him. Right. So uh, so that's a storyline to watch, too, for sure. Yeah, but that's that's the last thing I had. All right. Uh, I think that's all I got for now, too. Again, watch that. I'm curious. To, I don't know if they're going to actually move him, but I watch Juan Soto. That'll make seismic shift and Major League Baseball, wherever he goes. Um, so that's that'll be a huge storyline if and when that happens. Uh, but outside of that, the All-Star break officially starts today. I don't think games start back up till Friday. And, uh, you know, if you're watching, got free time this week. Yeah, Home Run Derby is always a lot of fun. All-Star game on Tuesday. Uh, enjoy the festivities. All right. Where can, po- where can people find us? That's right. You allowed me to do it this time. <laughs> Uh, Instagram Instagram and Twitter we're both at uh, Yankee6 for me and at Thorpe Theory for John um, we are back on Mondays every Monday everybody have a wonderful week alright talk to you later folks toodles